you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we hear from God himself in Revelation chapter 4. As I read, I want you to pay attention to what it is the Apostle John sees and what it is that John hears. Revelation chapter 1 or 4 verse 1. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated. On the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne, came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him. Who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying. Worthy are you our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. A long time ago, uh, my wife and I had a first date, and back then we went to a movie, and in that movie, uh, there was this asteroid that was barreling toward Earth, and it was threatening to end the world. Back then, there were lots of movies like that. Uh, there were movies about aliens that had you know, superior intelligence and superior weapons than us, and they were targeting our world. And in all of those movies, 
the, the people in them had this very predictable and understandable reaction where when they get the news of this, they, their lives are completely turned upside down. They may have been preoccupied with all kinds of priorities. I trust that if that were the real world like ours, they would have faced real concerns every day and had filled up their schedules and filled up their prayer lists with all kinds of things. But when they discovered an alien power, an otherworldly, outside of the common kind of power, everything changed for them. The Apostle John is invited to see outside of his world, there is a higher throne. That's the title of this message from Revelation chapter 4. There is a higher throne. And that. The focus of this vision we get in Revelation chapter 4 is, is not just the throne. It is that there is one who is seated on the throne. Everything in this magnificent chapter is oriented around the throne. And everyone there is totally focused on the one who can sit on the higher throne. Beloved, I'm here to tell you one thing, and that is God is seated on a throne way up in heaven. You can say amen already. God is seated on a throne way up in heaven. And I want you to consider as we unpack that one thing. What difference should that make to you? What difference should it make in your life today? That there is a higher throne and a God seated with all power and glory and honor on top of that throne. Revelation is moving us, the, the, the chapter began with this, this phrase, after this I looked. It's moving us beyond the sober realities we found in chapters 2 and 3, where we saw all the pressures that Christians, if they're going to be faithful to God, are going to face in this world. All the persecution that if you're going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus, you will have to endure in this world. It moves us beyond that and lifts our eyes way up. And what we'll see is two things. First of all, we'll see in verses 1 through 6 what is in that throne room. And then secondly, in verses 6 through 11, we'll hear what is said in that throne room. So point number one, look up. Point number one, verses 1 through 6. We are called to look up. One of the things I've done this week is I've asked God's Spirit 
the one who, in verse 2, John is said to be in the Spirit, brings John into heaven's throne room. I've asked him to bring us there. That we might look up and see what we cannot see anywhere in this world. What this world actually in some ways exists to hide from us. And if the Spirit will answer us, the main thing we're going to see is a throne. Now, a lot of times when I'm preaching, I'll, I'll turn to the kids and I'll say, I have to explain something to them that they might not be familiar with. In this case, I think I have to turn to the adults and explain what a throne is. Because the only thing that we're really accustomed to when it comes to royalty is coming to us from popular magazines. And from the Oprah Winfrey show. And the only thing we have of royalty is diplomats at best. Or celebrities at worst. A throne is what we need to look up and see. And a throne is where a king sits and where a king rules. You've got to already start using your imagination with God's help because this is, there's nothing like this in our world today. But nine times in this passage, we see this word throne. Look up, John is telling us. Verse 3, notice there, everything there is around the throne. Verse 4, again, what we see is around the throne. Verse 5, then he tells us what it comes from the throne. And then later in verse 5, what is before the throne. And then again in verse 6, he tells us what is before the throne, around the throne, on each side of the throne. The throne is what he wants us to look up and see. But what we also see. Are these creatures you can't see anywhere else? You see all these wild sights. And yet, as you're amazed looking around the room, don't miss what is at the center always. And what everyone and everything is fixed upon, it is the throne. And more specifically, the one seated on it. Well, you would see if, if the Spirit helps us to get into that room this morning is things you cannot, that are more magnificent than anything in this world. And, and you shouldn't be distracted too much by them. They are just ornaments of Him. He's the main event. And whenever a human in the Bible gets this special glimpse at the glory of God, the best that they can do is to, to reach for descriptions of, of the most beautiful things that, that you and I could, could possibly see in this world. And so when God and His glory in that room are being described, it says in verse 3 uh, that it's, He's described as looking like precious jewels, like Jasper and Carnelian. He, he paints the picture of 
brilliant rainbows there and, and colors that we've never seen a rainbow look like. And in, in, in verse 5, he, he's reaching for the most powerful sounds, the most terrifying sounds and forces that you and I can, can, can be somewhat familiar with and say, that is what's going on there. Lightning and thunder and fire all around him. And he's at the center of it all around. The throne in verse 4. Look, there are 24 other thrones. And, and princes who are on each one of them. And what's important is what they're clothed in. It's white. Because they... Well, they are what they would have to be to be that close. Pure. In righteousness. And, and they, they are crowned in gold to show that they are rich. They are regal. They belong there. They deserve those crowns. In a little bit they'll do something with those crowns. And of course there too are the seven spirits we saw earlier in chapter 1. That seven is that symbolic number that just speaks of the complete Spirit, the Holy Spirit is there. And he's attending to this king. Every once in a while when you're reading the Bible, you should ask the question, why is this chapter here? What I mean is not, not just in my Bible, but in this place in the Bible. Why is it that from Revelation 2 and 3, which is very much our world and the experience of every faithful Christian under pressure and under persecution and facing a lot of, lot of threats and, and a lot of weakness and needing to turn from sin to be more faithful to God. Why is it that then we go way, way up here in Revelation chapter 4? This is what God wants us to see after we hear about how, not just those churches, but hear what the Spirit says to all churches, to Redeemer Church, that believers are going to face death, perhaps, for being faithful to the Lord Jesus. This is what John wants us to see whenever we are reminded of our own experience of we can't even escape the ungodly by being in the church. Sometimes in churches, the ungodly are there trying to take down the faithful. That some are living, as one church was described, where even Satan's throne is. I wonder if you can remember back to those chapters if that sounded like your own reality. If I can paint it this way. What is it that you need to see when all you can see is hard circumstances and risky obedience, not easy obedience. When you are called to a friend or a family member or to the church member to confront them and what they believe to be false, whenever you 
are watching the people you love fall away from God. What do you need to see? When you are enduring a very small season. A suffering season. Because you're being faithful to God. We need to see that there is a higher throne. There is something more than we see now. And notice how verse 6 finishes out this explanation of that throne room. Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. If you're going to understand what we read in the book of Revelation, you mainly need not charts and uh, whatever else newspapers that people use. You need the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, we know what the sea represents. It's the, it's the place where humans cannot survive on their own. It's the place where the devil is believed to live, where all of his beasts come out of, all of his demons kind of dwell there. All the danger is there in the sea, and the sea is just the floor under the feet of God on his throne. Like glass, like crystal. Which means not like raging sea. There's not even a ripple of that kind of danger in his presence. In other words, there under his rule, it is totally calm. The things that are most dangerous to us. Revelation is in the Bible. So that. Saints can get a glimpse of reality in a world of deceptions. Way, way up above all your chaos and uncertainty and dangers and threats. There is a God who is in complete control. This is, we're encouraged to look up because what we normally do is look around. We look around at all the things that are so much stronger, so much dangerous, so much possible destruction in front of us. All the threats around us, we look around to them. And anxiety, listen, if you struggle at all with anxiety... Anxiety and worry and fear flourishes whenever this vision is dim. God knows that his people will hold on if they look up. Beloved, we will hold on if we look up and see God seated on a throne way up in heaven. But he doesn't just tell us to look up. In verses 6 through 11, he tells us to listen up. Look up. 
and listen up. And I, I want you to first see again what these creatures that he's then showing to us walking around his throne. I want you to imagine these four living creatures. With all the eyes and all the wings on every side of the throne. A face like an ox. A face like a man. A, 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 one that looks like an eagle while in flight. I want you to imagine what if they snuck up into here. And all of a sudden they could talk too. I think we would all be convinced we need to listen up. When they say in verse 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is seated on a throne way up in heaven and he is holy, holy, holy. In the Bible, there wasn't holiest kind of language. They just kept repeating themselves three times to say that he is holy perfectly. He is completely holy. Everything you have in mind when you think of the word holy and pure and righteous and perfect and complete, well, multiply that by infinity and that is Getting in the realm of what God is. He is unlike anyone else. He's holy. He's set, a, set apart from everything that you have ever experienced. And everyone you have ever met. He's greater than all of it. He's holy, holy, holy. You should listen up. And I'm fine with you speaking up. I appreciate this sister over here. Speaking up every once in a while. The rest of you should be doing it. And you would. And I would more get rid of all the shame and all the embarrassment of all these common, common, common people around us. If we only knew Him and could see Him and believe what they are saying to Him, we would stop worrying about everything that would get in our way of worshiping Him. And we would get busy just serving Him no matter the cost. God is seated on a throne way up in heaven. You should listen up when those four living creatures speak and then when the 24 elders speak. Whenever they take those crowns and they deserve them, they would have to deserve them if they're in his presence and still living. And then they do what is completely appropriate. They take those crowns off and they are saying something when they take it off and throw it at his feet. And then they say, worthy are you, not us. Greater kings than have ever graced this earth. We are not worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Three distinctives, glory, honor, and power, because three is another word of completion, number of completion, because there are three persons in the one God. So count them up as you walk through the book of Revelation. He is totally worthy to receive glory 
this God. To receive the praise. As the. Most beautiful. And kind and benevolent being. In all. Of. Existence. And he deserves that glory. When nothing good is going in your life. He deserves honor. Whenever. You are in pain and cannot fix it. He deserves your honor. And he deserves power. He deserves the right. To decide what happens to us. The power. The power that would lead us to trust him. And wait upon him. And to hold on. And wait for his will in our life. And obey him every step of the way in the meantime. That's what he deserves. Because he's worthy. And there's a reason he gives here for why God is worthy of this. It's because he's the creator. Did you see that? For you created all things. And by your will, everything exists that exists. He's worthy. You believe he's worthy because you exist. No matter how you evaluate your existence right now, do you believe that the fact that you exist and you didn't make yourself makes God worthy of your worship? He gives you life. He gives you food. He gives you breath. Every gift you have, he gave to you. You know anything, he gave you the ability to know it. He's worthy because he created us, which means we belong to him. He owns us, every right over us. This one who also created the Milky Way galaxy is worthy. And the Rocky Mountains. And the Caribbean islands is worthy because he just made all these things. I mean, who, who makes Marriage and children. Whose idea was godly friends whenever we're really struggling? Who came up with the idea of courageous men who will lay their life down for others? And gentle women. The creator of mercy. And of grace. And of sacrificial love. He is worthy. Can we not agree. With the 24 elders. In that room. Amen. I'll keep going when you say. Amen. That God who is worthy. Sent this vision. To suffering saints. This is the follow up to all of the, 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 the dangers of chapters 2 and 3. But it's also the follow up to all the promises of chapters 2 and 3. Whenever the Lord Jesus comes to his people and he says, listen to me. It's going to be really hard. But if you conquer, I will let you eat of the tree of life. And he says, if you are true to me. Even if everyone else falls away, 
If you are true to me, you will not be hurt by hell. And whenever he says, if you're true to me, I'll give you a new name. I will give you white garments to be in my presence and glory. These are the promises he's just made. I will. Last of all, at the end of chapter 3, he said, I will allow you, if, you're, if you are faithful to me, I will allow you to sit with me on my throne. Do you believe he can do that? It might be a question because we're so powerless in this world and we face so much. He says, no, you, you may die. They may take your head off. But after that, these things are going to come. Should we believe him? Listen up. And look up. He is there ruling and he doesn't have any rivals. Can he do it? Oh, can the Creator just speak and the Son appear? This is the God who brings things that do not exist into existence with a word. So yes, we can believe His promises. No matter the cost to us. Beloved, there is a higher throne. And perhaps that, if you're writing down one application, just write that down. And start saying it to yourself every single day. Wake up in the morning and say, there is a higher throne. And at lunch, let that be your reminder as you're taking in food because you're so very weak and need to get past the rest of the day. Tell yourself, there is a higher throne. And when you go to bed and you're so exhausted and you're worried about how sleep is going to go, remember there is a higher throne. And he ain't sleeping on that throne. This is the message of Revelation chapter 4. That worship service that we were invited into in Revelation chapter 4. There is a higher throne. And that should be the focus of every worship service we have as a church. Our church is being given an example in Revelation chapter 4 for how we should conduct business and we should follow that example. What I mean is when we get together as Christians every week, all our eyes should be only on God. That's the way it is there. We should resist the temptation to gather a crowd by focusing on people. And the things of this life that are passing away. And instead of that, we should fill everything we do from start to finish with times of praise of this God. That we might see Him and hear Him and then trust Him. Amen? I can't imagine. I don't know if you can imagine a more worthy God than this. A more glorious God than ours. I mean, what? What more could he possibly do than just be this kind of God and earn all of our esteem? And yet that's easy to say. When this is really humbling to me. To come face to face with this. And then to remember how trivial, unimportant, 
the things I act like are my whole life. So think about, I wonder if you can agree with me, how easily we don't even give him a thought. How often we forget him. How reflexively we just dishonor him and know what he wants and then just do something completely different. How regularly we doubt him and his abilities or the goodness of what he calls us to. You see, there's something I haven't told you about Revelation chapter 4. And, and that is God has been described in these ways before. And it's always right before judgment falls. It was thunder and lightning and fire on Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments came to tell them, if you disobey, I've got thunder and lightning as my weapons. When, when we, we heard these angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Don't you remember? That's what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. And at the end of that chapter, what does God say? Go out and judge my people for dishonoring and, and, and not considering me worthy. The time is up. Patience is out. How can and should we feel when, when we come face to face with this? I mean, do you think that we're just going to walk up in there? To the holiest person in all of existence and be accepted by him? Don't we have to at least consider that question when we come face to face with this kind of God? I mean, every single person there is wearing white because they're pure. They're holy. And I don't know about you, but I am unholy. Prone to wander. Do you feel it? Prone to leave this God. This God whose son is this God. This God who we're told the son is the one who was on the throne that Isaiah saw whenever he heard, holy, holy, holy. The Son is the, the God that Hebrews chapter 1 tells us is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is radiant in glory. The Son is the one who was way up forever and ever, eternally. And then came way, way. Taking on humanity. Coming to his people. Rejected by them. Crucified. In shame. By them. He is the one who is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the creator. 
But then the rest of Hebrews chapter 1 says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He came way down. And he died. But he didn't stay down. He got up and he went way, way up and sat down. Because he has made purification for sins. He has sacrificed himself. And the reason he's sitting down is because there ain't nothing more to do to save every sinner who comes in faith to him. If you're here and you are trusting in him, understand that your faith in Christ is what makes you white and worthy to stand in the presence of this God. And if you are here and you are living a life ignoring him, just understand that this is true with or without you. He will be worshipped and praised forever and ever and ever. And you don't have to be there. But there's a rainbow in that room for a reason. Because when justice is just about to fall, there is this offer of mercy. And if you will turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that God has accepted will apply to you. And you will be forgiven. And you can be his own. God is seated on a throne way up in heaven. And we are about to get back to our world of persecution and pressure. Of soccer games. I've got, you know, three of them this week and two of them next week. And... I realized this week as I was coaching one of my soccer games, you know, sweet kids, they, they, they want to ask coach a lot of questions. And I'm a certain kind of coach where um, I don't have time for those questions. I am so busy when I'm on the sidelines. So I'm just going to say that there are soccer players in here right now. I am sorry. I don't mean to be rude to you when you ever you have questions for me during the game. I'm busy. I'm focused. I'm trying to help you, trying to help that team. But it takes all my concentration and trying really hard to think about what to do. But you remember what God's doing. He's busy right now. In a different way than, we, than I am, mind you. He's busy being worshipped. That's what he's busy with. It said in verse 8, remember, uh, they never cease to praise him. And and then in verse 9, it says that when when the four living creatures are never ceasing to praise him who is and was and is to come, the one who lives forever and ever, what do they do when the four living creatures say, holy, 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 whenever they hear that, they then say, worthy are you. Never ceasing, and whenever those things that never cease are happening, they're worshiping him as well. So when a, a, a brother pastor asked me this week, what, how long should a church service last? 
Well, one way to answer it is, is he still around? Is the Lord still around? Because it's never ending. The kind of busyness he has being worshipped. And he ain't bored with any of it. That repetition of how worthy and holy he is over and over, forever and ever and ever. Beloved, let me just leave you with this thought. You know what God was doing when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and threw the whole world into sin and death. You know what he was doing when the king of Egypt and his armies backed God's people into the Red Sea and threatened to destroy God and all of his promises. You know what he was doing at that moment that, that, that we were remembering last week whenever Rabshakeh of Assyria was mocking God and his people? Do you know what he was doing whenever his angel then left and killed 185,000 of his enemies that night? I want you to just think about what, what, what do you think God was doing whenever on 9-11 our world changed forever? What do you think God is doing whenever President Biden warns Putin against nuclear attacks? Or what's he doing whenever the latest virus, whatever it's called now, is discovered? What's he doing when your world is falling apart? It's the same thing he was doing all along. He's sitting He's just sitting there. He's not pacing. He's not fretting. He's not panicked one bit. And now that we have seen that and heard that, what is it you're going to do with your life? Oh God, we come to you as the one who is seated on a throne way up in heaven. And we pray that you would keep that vision of you in front of our eyes. And that we would then live this life every day and every moment in light of the reality that you are sitting and being worshipped in glory. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.